Welcome to this special episode of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, I'm so excited to bring you a recording of the State of the Industry panel discussion that opened H&H Americas 2023. H&H Americas is the trade show for the crafts industry. The show was June 21st to 23rd in Chicago this year. And the morning of the 21st, we had a state of the industry panel. There were four panelists on the panel. You'll hear them introduce themselves. We had Kamaka Champion from Miss Pearl on the south side of Chicago. That's a a locally owned yarn shop. We had Steve Jeffrey from Brewer. That's a um, distributor. Um, And then we also had Jan Hurwitz from Barocco. She's also vice president at Premier Needle Arts. And finally, we had Heidi Allen. Heidi is from um, the German Trade Association, and she'll talk about what she um, does there and what that is. Um, this was an incredible experience to be able to hear from these four people. They're four different vantage points and understand better where they think we are now as a crafts industry what the challenges we're facing might be, and where we need to go next. I hope you really enjoy this state of the industry panel discussion as much as I did. So here we go. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Very good. Well, here we are. We all made it here after many months of preparations. I would like to extend a warm and sincere welcome to all of you for joining us um, here at our second edition of H&H Americas. We are so thrilled to have you join us here, and we are truly thankful that you are making the time and effort to join us and to support our show. My name is Mette Peterson. I am president of Kölnmesse Incorporated. Um, if you're not uh, familiar with us, we are the North American subsidiary of Kölnmesse, headquartered in Cologne, Germany. And you're probably familiar with the H&H Cologne show in Cologne. Um, it's taken place many years very successfully. And um, based on that success, we felt that last year was a really good opportunity for us to create a U.S. version. And with that, we launched H&H Americas uh, here in, in Rosemont last year. Um, my entire team and I are really pleased to welcome 267 exhibitors this year, which is a 27% increase compared to last year. Our show floor is about a third larger um, than last year. And in terms of our attendance, we get this question all the time, of course. Uh, we only have the pre-reg numbers so far, but, but currently it looks as if we're going to reach about 2,500 attendees from 22 different countries. We have attendants from Europe, from New Zealand, Australia, Peru and Brazil, um, South Africa even. And I also think it's pretty cool that we have attendance from all U.S., uh, all 50 U.S. states and Puerto Rico. I would like to extend a big thank you to our strategic partner, Craft Industry Alliance, and especially Abby Glassenberg, the co-founder, for their incredible support and guidance with the entire event and especially our conference program. We are in for a real plethora of some 65 different educational and networking sessions and special events, and I really hope that you'll have time to enjoy many of them. 
So do take time to explore our show floor. Many of the features we had last year, we, we uh, have organized again this year, such as the Indian Untangled Startup Pavilion, the Fashion Boulevard, the Main Stage, and so on. But this year, we've also added the Sewing and Quilt Pavilion in partnership with Road to California. Um, we have, we've added the Hands-On Learning Lab and also the Special Cosplay Exhibit. And for the first time this year, we are adding the content creator studio for video and podcast production. So if you have time, stop by our little studio out in the main lobby and, and take a look at that. And thanks to all of the activities and social media posts from a lot of you and all of our content creators, we're actually reaching 5.7 million consumers this year, which I think is really amazing. And with that, hopefully, we and h and Americas is adding some value to our community and our industry at large. So um, I'm going to keep it brief because we have a really interesting uh, keynote panel waiting. But I just wanted to remind everybody to use their mobile app to network also now during the show to reach out to other attendees and exhibitors. And don't miss our digital after show, uh, which is running next week from Monday to Friday. Um, it will be available on our H&H Connect platform. Um, and H&H Connect is your new year-round community, which really extends the experience of, of our physical events. And with that, we are offering live events, um, on-demand content, product and vendor sourcing, and really community building. So enjoy everything that h h America has to offer. Um, I'm gonna, now going to hand the word over to Abby. She always has a lot of great insights. So enjoy the keynote and enjoy the next three days. Take care. Good morning and welcome. Um, I have a story I want to tell you, and it's about a woman who lives in South Georgia named Cadence Kidwell. Cadence had a dream, a dream a lot of us can relate to. She'd been teaching at a university and she liked that job, but inside, she knew she wanted to set out on her own. She was an entrepreneur at heart and wanted to do something creative. Cadence is someone who truly risked it all to make this dream a reality. Nine years ago, she and her husband sold their house, sold their car, and eventually cashed in her 401k. They moved to a new town called Thompsonville, Georgia, and Cadence bought a rundown building on a rundown block in downtown. She renovated and decorated, ordered inventory, and Open Fuzzy Goat, a yarn shop that features southern yarns. And it thrived. And I wanted to share Cadence's story with you, not just because Cadence is someone who is living her dream, but also because I think Cadence and her business really represent our present moment. And here's why. At the start of 2020, Fuzzy Goat had a website, but essentially no e-commerce at all. So when the pandemic hit and nobody could come into the store, Fuzzy Goat could have been totally sunk. But that is not Cadence's way. 
Instead, alone in the store, she got to work. She started doing Facebook Lives. It is not my nature to go live on camera, she told me, but she did it. She built a new website on Shopify and listed every single product in the store, reaching her existing customers, but also yarn enthusiasts outside of Thomasville for the first time. She upgraded her email marketing and started using SMS to text her customers shop updates. But Cadence didn't stop there. She started a subscription yarn box, creating recurring revenue for Fuzzy Goat. And she forged relationships with yarn shop owners in other parts of the country to build community through hosting live virtual events together. Today, Fuzzy Goat is, of course, open again, and its local customer base is back. And 70% of Fuzzy Goat's revenue continues to come in online. Talk about a pandemic pivot. Cadence came out of a global crisis, stronger and more connected. And I think many aspects of her story are emblematic of some of the seismic shifts we've seen over the, over the last three years. These are topics that we will be focusing on this morning in the State of the Industry panel. But first, as the president of Craft Industry Alliance, the trade association for our industry, I wanted to tell you that it's truly an honor and pleasure to be with you here today for this incredible trade show. With the help of our planning committee, we've put together a lineup of classes and panels and keynotes that focus on the essential issues we're facing as an industry. At H&H Americas, you have the opportunity to learn from the best. Here is just a taste. We have professional heavyweight mixed martial arts fighter Maurice Green, also known as the Crochet Boss, who will be joining me on stage later today to talk about bringing craft to new audiences. We have Justine Chu, founder of The Woobles, a kit company that was featured on Shark Tank, who will be talking with us on Friday morning about bringing her experience working at Google and user experience design to craft. Kathy Canamarillo of The Crafty Chica will be talking tomorrow morning about brand partnerships and collaborations. We will have a panel discussion on our main stage on Thursday about how online educators can partner with brick and mortar retailers so everyone wins, and so much more. But before we kick everything off with our State of the Industry panel this morning, I want to thank Metta Peterson, President and Managing Director of Colon Mesa, for all that she and Colon Mesa have done to bring H&H to Chicago again. So huge thank you to them. And if you are here as an exhibitor, and maybe even as an attendee, you have likely spoken to Darren Stern. Darren has shaped nearly everything that you see and that you will experience over the next three days. The man has an incredible work ethic, and he loves to talk, and we owe him so much gratitude. So thank you to Darren Stern. And now for our State of the Industry panel. As we thought about putting this panel together, we wanted to include a diversity of viewpoints and vantage points, and I think we've got that here in spades. So I will introduce each panelist in turn. First, we have Kamaka Champion, the owner of Miss Pearl, a yarn shop on the south side of Chicago. Good morning. We have Jan Hurwitz, general manager at Barocco and senior vice president at Premier Needle Arts. We have Hedy Allen, managing director at the German trade group Initiative Handerbite that initially brought H&H to Cologne. 
And we have industry veteran Steve Jeffrey, president and CEO of Brewer. All right, so we're going to get started. So to begin, it would be great if each of you could just take a little time to tell us about your role, what you do, what your company is all about. So we'll start with you, Steve. Okay, my name is Steve Jeffrey. This is my 47th year in the sewing industry. Started in a local store, had different jobs along the way, was in charge of product development for Baby Lock USA for 30 years, was president of Baby Lock USA for 18 years, and now I'm the proud president of uh, Brewer Quilting and Sewing Supplies. Uh, our company is dedicated to bring new innovative products with excellent customer service to our customers, and we're, we're really focused on driving business and consumers through the independent dealer network because we feel that's our core business and that's where we need support in a very strong way. So there you go. <laughs> Jan, you're up. Yeah, I'm Jan Hurwitz. Uh, about 20 years in this wonderful industry. Um, I started as a um, yarn shop owner in the San Francisco Bay Area, which um, you know is still every time I walk into a yarn store, I want to like fix the shelves and you know do all the tweaking. Um, uh, uh, after a number of years, I moved into the um, yarn company uh, side of things. I had a brief stint as a um, traveling uh, manufacturer's rep, as, as a, uh, a sales rep, and you know, calling on retail stores. And then I um, worked for uh, Coats Crafts America with um, fabric and yarn, um, selling to you know retailers throughout North America. Uh, moved on to the DMC group where I ran the um, sales and distribution for the U.S. and Canada. And I think I'm now in my best job ever of my life um, at, uh, at Barocco, which I joined a year and a half ago. So I'm the general manager. Um, owners Warren and Caroline, who founded the company oh, 40 years ago, decided to retire last year. So it's, you know that bittersweet thing, but um, uh, just really glad to be part of a team that um, sells solely exclusively to uh, local yarn stores throughout the U.S. and Canada. So we sell our own Barocco brands that we source from mills in Italy, Peru, France, U.K., and we also distribute for uh, Lang, Wool Addicts, uh, Lopi, Amano, and most recently we've added uh, West Yorkshire Spinners out of the UK. Kamaka, you're up next. Hey everybody, good morning. I'm Kamaka Champion and I bring you greetings from Miss Pearl. We are a family operated brick and mortar located on the south side of Chicago. Uh, Miss Pearl was opened uh, in September of 2021 in response to the market's geographical need for a yarn store located south of the city's downtown. In Chicago, all of the yarn stores are clustered on the north side of the city, which leaves one half of the city without access to tools and resources, and those are black and brown and blue-collar communities. Uh, Ms. Pearl, we are very passionate about keeping yarn crocheters and knitters close. And we want to nurture makers and help them to be accomplished in their stitching and happy with their yarn. I'm so happy to be here and see all of you and be with my colleagues today. And I hope that our time together will be fruitful for you. 
Hello, good morning together. I'm Hedi Ehlen. I'm with this creative industry now for nearly 40 years. 35 years of this 40 years I worked for the Prime Consumer Group and I was for many years responsible for the European business of this group. And what I love most is to work together with, with my US colleagues here in Spartanburg, South Carolina. You may better know not the Prime Consumer USA company but the former named Dritz company. And we did a lot of exchange of information, ideas, trends and so on. And that are the occasions a year I really love to do. And I'm now uh, very happy to be back somehow to the US after this horrible three years we all have behind us. And therefore it's a very special pleasure to be here. Thank you very much, Abby, for the invitation. And in 2020, I took over the, as a managing director the role at the Initiative Handarbeit. That is the German association. Um, it is close to yours, but doing very different things. And we are the ones who take at those times the fair H and H to Cologne. It was in former times, in, it was in Munich, it was in Hamburg, it was in other different cities, but we loved Cologne and we are, we loved the Cologne team and our managing director of the Cologne team is here today. Katrin, it's so good to be, <laughs> to have you here. And, uh, and we have very close and successful partnership during the last years. But when I took over the role in 2020, my first action was to cancel this wonderful fair due to the corona <laughs> crisis. And in 21, we cancelled it once more. In 22, we started, we did a start-up, but it was a very small one. And now this year in March, we were back, back on stage again. And it was a wonderful fair, and we were so happy to be able to come together. And uh, it was a very successful thing to do. And I hope the very best that it will happen to us here too, and that we all love to be together, to, to exchange our ideas and all the things we have to talk about and to see all these wonderful booths which has been set up. Thank you very much to Darren who gave me a small preview on Monday. And I like very much what I see and I will be, it will be a pleasure and an honor for me uh, to be here and to talk. Thank you. Wonderful. So we're going to jump right in. Um, we're going to start with some of the immediate challenges that Businesses of all kinds are facing, but certainly craft industry businesses are no different. So specifically, I'm thinking about inflation, um, high shipping and freight costs, which are continuing, ongoing supply chain disruptions that uh, we're still seeing. So how are these factors impacting the crafts industry now, and how will they impact them in the months to come? So. Um, Jan, we'll start with you on that one. Oh, okay, thank you. Um, uh, these are issues near and dear to my heart. Um, all these things factor in when, you know, like uh, as, as the Barocco team, as we go to source yarns from mills and suppliers overseas, we have to factor in um, all the time to how we um, end up pricing yarns to our retailers and the end consumer. So it really travels all the way through the supply chain. So I think we're all dealing with inflation. Um, we're continuing to see our freight and shipping costs go up. And I don't believe we have as many supply chain disruptions as we did during the pandemic, which was just awful. 
you know, we never knew what we were going to get. I mean, whatever company you were with, we never knew what we were going to get when. And, you know, Mills suppliers were shutting down for long periods of time due to COVID. So it was really quite a, a disruptor and also for the families that, you know, were part of those businesses. So, um, what we try to do on our end as a supplier to, you know, retailers and you to your consumers is, you know, we try to order more frequently, build in our lead time. The exchange rate is typically, you know, fluctuating. And there's many times that we will, you know, just make the decision to take a, a smaller margin and profit on a yarn so we continue, we can continue to bring it at a good value to the consumer. But, um, it, you know, it, it ends up, you know, coming all the way through, um, you know, the chain to, to the end consumer. So I think the bottom line is I'm seeing some of it level out and some we just continue to have to incorporate into how we do business. And we, we also try to keep our business lean, uh, running a lean team and try to keep our, our costs down. Kamaka, from a retail perspective, you know, you're dealing directly with the consumer. So what are you seeing when it comes to these issues? Well, I think for brick and mortar stores, um, we are being squeezed on both ends because the cost of goods are going up and that cost is being passed to us. And then on the other side, our customers um, are seeing uh, a change in their disposable income and their ability to uh, to come out with gas prices are high. So it's very difficult for our customers as well. I think that it is important then for the brick and mortar store to uh, to be more thoughtful about where they are situated for an emerging business. It's really important to be a part of a walkable community uh, and to engage with your uh, with your customers and stores that are in your that are directly in your area. And I know that that is a little bit of a challenge because we're on social media and so we're speaking to everybody, but it's of critical importance that you speak to the people that can get to you and that you can understand their understand their immediate needs. I think it would be great um, to see for me as a small business, I think my request in this, because it's going to continue, is that wholesalers think about lowering their cost of, um, of opening orders or minimums because that will help us share the burden because the yarn that's on the shelf is literally our money is tied up on those shelves. And the longer it takes us to turn and turn an inventory, then that is sweet. That's squeezing our ability to see some margins as well. So it would be great to do that. Uh, some other ways that I'm making choices is, um, and I don't like to do this, but a larger distributors, I can order more things from them and that can, and I can save on shipping. As a small business, I certainly prefer to shop with smaller other smaller businesses and give them a chance to uh, but there for both of us there is a, a tug on uh, what the margin how much margin that we can get and so another way around that is to think about connectivity and how can we work together uh, and that could be two yarn stores working together that could be collaborating with a dyer and with another maker so that we can all work uh, put all our power together to move up instead of uh, instead of being kind of dispersed in our efforts. Steve, it looks like you. Yeah, inflation is a huge issue for everyone. And, and as international freight charges have come down, because at the peak of the pandemic, some containers were twenty-eight dollars to $30,000 per container, it's dropped down 
to five or six thousand. So that's helped a lot to help everybody's margins. What we're doing at Brewer is trying to develop unique products that we sell only through brick and mortar dealers that you can make a higher margin than what you can make from the off the shelf things you see in all the, the Walmarts and the mass merchants. And that's all important to everyone's business. But for us, we want to deliver unique things uh, that you can, can sell to your consumers and bring more traffic into your store. What's interesting about the freight is even though the international cost of containers have reduced, the freight domestically hasn't gone down. Uh, and it continues to go up. And we're always looking at negotiating better uh, opportunities with our vendors and with the freight companies to get that cost down because it, it's it's money that's just out the window for all of us, you know, to get the products to our stores and to make them profitable and, and competitive to sell uh, to the consumers. Another challenge we face as a whole is people, getting people in our stores that, that want to be there, that, that want to learn, that want to work, uh, and just uh, having people, because so many places are closing early because they don't have enough staff to run their business. And it's a challenge for all of us here to, to get the right people in your store that you can train. This is a business that takes a lot of knowledge to service our customers. And it, it is a lot of tribal knowledge moving forward as you go forward. So the future is we got to attract good people to our industry. We got to train them and motivate them to stay in our industry uh, and show them what, what a great industry it is for the future uh, and for all of us here. Hattie, do you have um, thoughts on this too? Yes, maybe okay. from a more general yeah. view as an association. Uh, I would say if I look back at my 40 years in the industry, we have crisis, we have had crisis, and we, had a, we have had a time when people thought knitting as old-fashioned, they do not want to do things with their own hands, all those things, uh, and we overcame somehow. Therefore, I think we are a creative industry with a lot of creative people in it, and we will find solution. I do not have the solution today, but you heard a lot uh, about what things about things we can do, and therefore, if I have a forecast, I would say, hey, we will overcome, and we will we will grow somehow. That's a great positive note. Um, I'm wondering about residual impacts you're seeing as a result of the pandemic. So. This was a global crisis. This shaped the way all of us do business in some ways. So what are you seeing as sort of lingering impact now that we've come out of it? Um, so Kamaka, we'll have you go first. Well, we are intentionally brick and mortar and we opened during the pandemic. So we doubled down on the idea of what community <laughs> means and what it means to come in to come into the store. I think residually, I think in Chicago, we are still dealing with the impact of pandemic. So the pandemic is still very, very real for us. It's still very real for people of color and businesses of color. I think that, um, therefore, though it's an issue of justice for, for me to have this yarn store on the south side. And I think that um, we as owners should think about how we are providing access to everyone, to our craft. One of the reasons we opened when we did was because I noticed um, during the pandemic that communities that had amenities in their communities were more likely to thrive or to sustain in ways that those who didn't have access to creative expression did. And so for me, it's very important that, um, that we continue on that path of making sure that there is access, that knitting and crochet do not belong to a certain economy class or a certain race. <laughs> 
or a certain educational background. And so those are things that I think people are becoming more aware of. And it is our, I think it's our duty and privilege to work in that, to work in that arena. Um, I think that overall in terms of shopping, Customers are used to the perceived, right now, the perceived safety of online shopping and social media community and online learning. And so we do have to really work on our relationships to drive the uh, the customers back into the store. And that's one of the mm -hmm. things that Ms. Pearl has been working on is tangibly driving people back into the back into the store and giving them that sense of comfort level that we can nurture you. There is a place in this market for the local yarn store still to thrive. I would really, if I could yeah, go ahead, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> I totally support that. Um, as you told the story about the fuzzy goat and how she had to pivot and transform her business, um, I thought that was very inspirational. And we saw that with many, many retailers. Um, also as a company, Barocco tried to um, develop specific programs to help stores through that time where they were shuttered, um, they really couldn't buy a lot of inventory, um, they couldn't afford to bring in what was new. We've tried to continue um, some of those programs. And we, the retailers that, that I talk to and visit all the time um, have really reported that you know, consumers are really eager, you know, they've been very eager to come back into the brick and mortar store. You know, we, we crave that sense of being together and building community. And I think it's one of the most valuable things that, um, that um, uh, yarn stores do in, in their communities. We're seeing more and more events happening and um, so I see that as a, as a positive result. I think also consumers might be expecting, um, you know, even a better retail experience than, than before. So I always try to stress when, when I meet with stores, you know, when we, we talk about the state of their business and what they're doing or ideas that they can have, you know, make it exceptional. Make that in-store experience something that they can't get online. And I'm not knocking online because it's, it's a really important piece of what we all do. Yeah. I think a big opportunity from this is as people have broadened their scope of what they enjoy in the craft and sewing world, they can now start building textiles. And, and so you combine stitching with embroidery with three-dimensional things with, with crochet and knitting and, and layering fabrics, whether it's a quilt you're working on a long arm machine or a serger, whatever you're doing, it gives that opportunity because I think consumers are thinking much more broadly about how they want to enjoy uh, the business and the fun of craft. And I completely agree. Retailtainment is a must. People are smarter now. They, they understand I can get this online. They understand I can get everything I need online, but that's not the community. Community, people want to come together and they want to share what they've made. They want to have fun with that. They want to say, look what I got, look what I made, look at the techniques I used. And that's what has also happened after the pandemic is, is the consumers are expecting more. When they come to your store, they just don't want to pick something off the shelf, walk out the door. They want to learn. They want you to be a place of value so that they can come in and get questions answered that they can't get answered somewhere else. From what bobbins is this machine to what needle is this and what fabric works well with this stabilizer, all those things are important to the consumers, and we've got to continue because all people are coming back to the community. They're coming back to events in a big way, and I think that's the, the good and bad of the future of this is that we, now we have to take what we've learned Imports for sewing machines over this period went up almost 900,000 units, but the average 
cost of that machine went down from 118 to $108. So that tells me that most machines are bought through mass merchants. Okay, so you gotta take those customers, and how do you bring them in to a better world, a more informed world, a more creative world at the dealer stores and through your communities? I think that will also help us build more business for the future as we get past this pandemic. Same thing happened at 9-11. After 9-11, crafting, cocooning went crazy, imports doubled on sewing machines. It went back down in the next couple of years and it leveled off a little bit higher than it was before. So there's a lot of opportunities for all of us out there in all the genres of the business to combine them and make it a, a, a new experience for all the consumers out there. From a European perspective, um, I would say from a European perspective, what we can see in the market already is that the hype of, uh, of the online business during the pandemic um, is a little bit going down. That means we do a lot of surveys. Uh, and, and we learned from that that online business is going down a bit after the pandemic and retail business is growing once more. And sometimes I think personally the word community could have been founded in our industry. <laughs> Therefore, uh, I'm so sure that, uh, that we will have there a successful way uh, to come together. But what we, what, we sh what we always should do at a retail level, I think, is really offering what you already said, offering a form of experience <coughs> Uh, to come together and, and that will make us um, successful, I would say. And I think there's also been a significant shift more broadly over the last decade in the way that consumers are accessing information. So rather than maybe turning to the few big publishers, for example, to learn new things, they're turning to creators themselves um, via YouTube, via other social media, and brands are also working directly with creators. So. I wondered what you think we need to think about when it comes to this kind of change of the way consumers access information. So, um, Kamaka, we'll start with you. I always call on you first. <laughs> I wish that I was in grade school getting picked for kickball. <laughs> I would feel pretty awesome right now. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I think it's. You know, I think it's interesting. I think there were moments, uh, especially being new, where I felt a little afraid or, you know, insecure. But when I really thought about it and when I really examined the marketplace, I think it's a natural uh, continuation of where our business should go. Um, there will always be a place for the local yarn store. Uh, the uh, this industry is high touch, high relationship driven. And so in that regard, the local yarn store plays a very important part. Uh, no matter what our customers see online, see on YouTube, see on Instagram, they will come back into the store. They're going to ask us what we think. They're going to ask us how to translate that. And then they're also going to be looking to us for the tools and the resources. And so I think from that regard, the way forward for local yarn stores is to think from the issue of connectivity. And for me, that means how do you look out onto the ecosystem and see what is taking place and where you can plug in to support what is already taking what is already taking place? Um, I went to see Transformers with my family last weekend, and there was a bit in there where Noah is and the Optimus Prime they're on the same side, but uh, Noah wants to save Earth and Optimus Prime wants to save whatever their world their world thing is. And so they're working together, but actually separately. And in the midst of that, they lose the thingamabob that they were trying to trying to fight for. 
So my son Adam would die. I don't know what that thing about <laughs> it's a, the thing, the thing, thing. So they're trying to do that, and when the, and when it's gone, they realize that hey, till all are one. That's what they said to each other. Till all are one, and I think we should be saying that to ourselves mm -hmm. too. Till all are one. How can I work with what is already taking place and support and support that? Mm -hmm. And I think customers will and customers will respond to that. On the other hand, I do want to challenge. Uh, I do want to challenge big big makers and big influencers and big brands to consider not cutting the local yarn store out of mm -hmm. their conversations and out of. Uh, these influencing opportunities. I would love to work. I would love to work with a brand opportunity. Um, for example, my email list, I have a, my last email, 64% of the people opened it. I had a 12% click rate. I would be interested to see what influencer could come up against that. On my Instagram post, four, over 4 to 5% likes and engagement each and every post and as high as eight percent and so and i know i'm not alone in that so i'm not saying that like i'm some special local yarn store i bet you have very similar numbers as well and i think that it's a missed opportunity when you don't tap into what the local yarn stores have um, have to offer mm -hmm. well you and i need to talk after the show <laughs> we got some good ideas to do with but as you know it, it, everything shifts one way that shifts the other way and i I think the important thing that we've learned from the pandemic is it takes all of us working together on our American money is e pluribus unum, which is out of many one. We need to be a single voice for the creative world to build our exposure in this business. I think that's our biggest lack. But we as business owners and as entrepreneurs and as, as shop owners, there's not one answer. You got you to be online. You got to have the experience at retailtainment in your store. You got to create uh, the people, the desire for people to want to come to your business and have fun, whether it's an event or it's an announcement of some kind uh, that they want to come. So it's it's hitting all the angles at once without thinking I'm going to go online. And that's going to save my business, or I'm going to do this and that's going to save my business. You really have to balance that with what's what's going on, reading your market, what's important in your market, and then dictating or not dictating, but planning your programs to match all that. So that's what I think. We think what, what come, something that you said, Kamaka, really, really resonated. I mean, there's so much to embrace in social media for all of us, you know, from the yarn company side, from, you know, independent retailers. It can be really overwhelming. And then I think sometimes you could just go, oh, God, I just can't deal with it. But... You know, and we, we get the same thing in, in our end of the business, but we try to think about, okay, what's a value, what's really important to our consumer, our, our retailer. And, you know, I'm sure the reason that you have the 64% opens and the 12% click-throughs is you're reaching your customer with some type of meaningful content and connectivity. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's what we try to, you know, come back and keep thinking about, you know, who is our customer? What's the value add? You know, mm -hmm. it's probably not just selling yarn or putting the product out there, but what, what really speaks to your customer on the other end of that, that email. Yeah. Um, and it does take curating. I mean, just like, you know, we curate our products in stores. I mean, you're the, the curator to your customer. You have to curate that content as you're reaching out to. And I think it's just a very um, thoughtful, intentional process. 
whatever that might mean to you. Abby, can I add to that just for a second? I would say, I would add to that, that there is a cost to that, to to having that type of uh, very specific content. And that is, we as a local yarn store, you do have to um, spend some money and time on really understanding who your audience is, mm -hmm. what they want from you. And that means saying no to a certain amount of audience. You can look out and see the yarn store across the way talking or having this KL or doing that, but that may be very specific to who they are talking to. So you really have to understand who is coming into your store and what they're asking for you. And they're not always asking for us to sell yarn. They really are wanting mm -hmm. an opportunity to expand their knitting practice. And so how can you add value to that without constantly worrying about how much yarn you're selling. A lot of my uh, content on my Instagram feed are not thinnest objects. They're really about talking about what it means to have a business, what it means to have customers that are invested in it, and what it means to grow to grow in this larger ecosystem. And so those are things that you have to think about, not just what's in it for your store and your business, but what's in it for, what's really in, in it for your customer. Perfect. That's Nothing, good. Nothing, <laughs> Perfect. Nothing okay. to add from my side. <laughs> um, so I want to talk for a minute about the role that sort of big box retailers play in the ecosystem for consumers, because they do play a role. It is a, an important role. Um, and I wondered how you thought about you know local stores and brands interacting, and also um, basically how we bring in new makers. You know, I think a lot of what I hear from consumers is when they first learn to knit or sew or whatever it might be, they go to the big box store because that's what they know. And then they get some supplies, maybe they get into it, invest in it a little bit more, and then they go for the good stuff, which is to go to the local store. So I wondered how you can think, how you're thinking about how we generate the next generation of makers. Steve, we'll start with you. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. To me, it's education. It, it, yeah. <laughs> it's education. It's, it's, it's being out there, letting people know what you offer, what you have. And you may not get them on step one when they get into knitting or crocheting or sewing and they buy from the, the big box stores. But maybe you, you try to get them on step two when they, they, they start falling in love with it. Because in our business, especially the sewing machines, people, they fall in love with this machine, they want something more. Then they get the next machine, and they love that. Now, this other machine does something else, so then they buy that one. Before long, they bought six or seven machines from you. You look at the lifetime value of all your customers. So it's not that you're selling them a $50 machine used. Down the road, you may end up selling them $20,000 or $30,000 or $40,000 worth of equipment or the, over the course of time. So that's important. Big Box does get product and brands out there in the market, which, which drives the uh, awareness of that product. So then it's up to us to, to educate them to come into the smaller stores and, and to use the education to uh, enhance their enjoyment of what they do. Mm -hmm. What about you, Heidi? Do you, how do you think it, we generate new makers? I think it's all about inspiring. I think we have to inspire them. We have to make, we have to come up with must-haves. We have to come up with models they love to have mm -hmm. and which they can do with their own hands. And think. I think that is um, handicraft have to make fun, and we should look how we can offer this fun, this community, and this uh, this inspiring things to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Heidi, I love that about the 
what they can make with their hands. I think that the consumer who goes into the big box is really about the, our process, our adventurous, and they're really using the yarn that they get in the big box as a tool. And so that, that flips a little bit when they come into a smaller local yarn store where we are we are putting the yarn first and they're putting the act of what they're doing first. And hmm. so I think that asks us then to think about how are you nurturing that part of them and not trying to fit them back into a box of buy this yarn or this variegated or did you see this fiber that's not as important to them so if you're speaking to them in that terms you're going to lose them because we'll never be able to compete with the big boxes prices we cannot we can't mm -hmm. compete with that and i even brought a big a, bought a big brand into the store but some of their more popular lines i couldn't because i can't compete with the 40 percent off mm -hmm. coupon Mm -hmm. So you and so in that way you have to think about what's important to them and what's important to them is being able to say I finished this and gave this to my aunt I made this for my baby or look at this cute tube top that I'm wearing you know I'm wearing on the beach next week and so then how can you build upon that and I think that will begin to nurture nurture those makers and then bring them into um, bring them into our community. Mm -hmm. It's really not about what you sell it's what they can do with what you sell oh, and and the key for all the stores is to have great inspiration. I did a, a study once on, on shop hops where buses of quilters go from place to place and, and we asked each time they stopped, did they buy, what did they buy, and how much did they buy? And it was interesting, there were some stores they stopped that were huge stores, but they had very little inspiration. Only a couple quilts here, a couple fashion garments there, and the sales were way down. Then they'd go into a smaller shop and had beautiful quilts everywhere and beautiful fashion on display, and the sales were way up. Uh, the key for our industry, the business, the brick and mortar, is to have great inspiration because that's what the consumers are looking for. What can I do with this machine I just bought? What can I do with these crochet needles? Or needles are called needles? Crochet needles? Or hooks? 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 Anyway, that's my job. <laughs> I'm going to take a different view on it. Um, because I agree with what all my colleagues have said and inspiration and, and leading them through to the right project. But um, I was thinking of that, that knitter, that crocheter, that maker that walks into the local yarn store through the door for the first time. Mm -hmm. I think it can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, you know, it, I think we all know how to navigate the aisles of Walmart and Joanne and Michaels in there. They're intended to be kind of self-serve, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but you walk into a local yarn store for the first time, and um, it, it can be really daunting. So I like to think about how can we be welcoming and nurturing to that you know, maker that we want to cultivate, whether they're new to the craft or new to the local yarn store. So maybe think about um, how do you introduce someone new to your store? You know, how do you navigate? I mean, you know, a lot of us can, you know, I can walk into a store and I know exactly how to, you know, find the worsted weight, um, easy wash, et cetera, because I know it's probably, yarn is probably arranged by gauge or weight or in some types, in some cases, brand or fiber. But that person new or that new maker to your store has no idea so, you know, greeting someone right away, which sounds simple, but it doesn't always happen, and finding out, you know, hey, have you been here? Are you new? If not, let me give you the tour. 
you know, and then they automatically can feel more comfortable. Maybe I belong here. They're not intimidated by the group of women that have known each other for 15 years all sitting at the table. You know, mm-hmm. that, can, that can be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I would just give some thought to, um, you know, maybe even you do a video a store tour and that's part of your, you know, post it on your website. Hey, if you're new to our store, you know, here's how we're organized. Here's mm-hmm. how you can find your way. Well, it may be old-fashioned, but what, do you, what does the consumer leave your store with when they walk out? You know, I was always a big advocate of a small pamphlet or something that gave your main products and services. Maybe there's a QR code with a video that says, here's what we're about. Uh, here's what, how, why we want you to be shopping at our store. Here's what we have to offer. Uh, because once they leave the store, you never know if you're going to see them again. But something to remind them that, hey, you know, these are all of the services that we offer the consumers, and it'd be uh, great to have you back at our store. And Google, talk a little bit. Google 360 oh, ahead, yeah. too offers, just really quickly, Google yeah. 360 <laughs> offers, you can purchase a little package and they bring the little drone into your store and they'll run it around. Oh. And so that you can make a yeah, video cool. like that. It's probably about yeah. $400, $300 or $400. Yes, yes. So it's, it's super cute. And then when the customer's on the Google map, they'll like click on it and it literally will take them like this around the around the store so cool. that is and it's for 3 like 350 or 400. Say the name of the company that It's it's a Google 360. I think if you if you Google Google 360 I think <laughs> I don't know. But it's but okay. like somebody like somebody came to my store and you know offered it but that was I think it was called America. Yeah, well, yeah, they have like a little you know they that have a small so cool. little drone thing that to do that and yeah. then they also use a photographer who will take individual <laughs> photos too. But it's pretty, you know, cool and it's an accessible price. Yeah, that's great. Good to know. Okay. Um, So I would love to talk a little bit about um, trends because each of you come from your own sector, different geographies. Um, So I'm curious what trends you're seeing in craft, whether that's specific to types of making, to particular imagery, to particular color trends, otherwise. What kind of trends are you seeing? So, Jan, we'll start with you for that one. Um, I was just talking to uh, members of my team about this. We talk about this all the time because we need to pay attention to trends with with color and you know design and what people are wearing and so forth. Um, so, a couple things we're we're seeing quite an increase in crochet. Um, yeah, and we're looking to, um, I think Allison from who heads my design team is here, and she just told me the other day, she said in our next season, um, 30% of our designs are going to be crochet. And I said, all right, all right. you know, um, which, which is great. Um, color, we're still seeing um, people really gravitating to bright colors, even in, it's kind of a natural for, say, spring yarns and, and that type of, you know, uh, season. But especially post-pandemic, we're finding that um, people want to be surrounded by bright, inspiring color. My friend. <laughs> yes, my favorite orange. Um, and even with some winter yarns, we introduce, you know, some some vibrant pops of color and resonate they resonated really well and then i think imagery of whatever you post on social media on your website even in your store i i think the lifestyle setting is really important you know we want to bring that that maker that person into that image into that world you know she wants to say oh i want to i want to be there i want to i want to 
you know, I could wear that, I could make that, mm -hmm. you know, envision yourself in that, whatever that image is. Mm -hmm. um, Hadi, what about you? What are you seeing in trends? Before I come to the trends, I would like to share something with you, with which uh, what we learned out of our last consumer survey we did now in March of this year. Mm -hmm. What do you think why people, what motivates people to do handicrafting? Mm -hmm. Number first was, I want to have fun. Mm -hmm. Number two was, I want to express my individuality. I want to be personal individual. And the third was, I want to do something with my own hands. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a sort of trend too, but the main trend I see at the moment, or we see, is sustainability. We see um, a return to handicraft techniques in general. We see a trend for slow fashion. We see upcycling activities. And, uh, and the more conscious use of textiles, that means the topic of repairing and mending becomes much more important. That would be my main point. Mm -hmm. um, I want to make sure we leave a little bit of time for questions, if that's okay with mm -hmm. panelists. So we do have two microphones, I believe. One is right there. Um, so if, and one is on the other side. If you do have a question for our panel, um, we would love to hear it. So make your way, um, okay, raise your hand, yeah, that's great. We'll start here and, um, and we'll have time for, I don't know, a few, one or two. I don't, I don't need a mic. Okay. <laughs> 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 um, my name is Stephanie Steinhaus. I'm currently, uh, and have been for seven years now, a sales and independent manufacturer sales rep. Before that, I owned a yarn store. Um, so this is sort of question slash PSA. I just wanted to like put out there that your sales reps are your pollinators. We see everything. We go in and out of every store. We deal with all of you and all of the vendors. Good point. And we see trends and we kind of gather all of that information and then share it back to you. A trend that, that I'm personally seeing is that the stores that seem to be doing the best, however you want to qualify the best, are ones that have, not at all. It's on the recording. Oh, of course, on the recording. The, the stores that I see that are doing the best are ones that have product for everybody. So the less yarn snobby the shop is, the better they seem to do. Um, and I'm wondering if you, on the stage experience that or something different. I'd be curious what your thoughts about that are. Mm -hmm. And I'm also, the question part of this is, um, how you talk to me about sales reps from your point of view, the value of them or not, how you pr would like to us to be working with you if we are or not, mm -hmm. that's my question. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, Stephanie, uh, thank you for the PSA, and I do agree with you. Uh, but I will have to say that my experience uh, with sales reps has been hit or miss. I think that uh, for me, as a as a uh, person of color in a person of color neighborhood in a small startup store, um, I get overlooked quite a bit. Um, mm -hmm. I have, you know, <laughs> so and I do have one 
my Baroque rep, <laughs> who is very, uh, who is Joan, who is awesome, and um, she talks to me some about some trends, and we do have an opportunity to have some engagement. But there are others who see who see me as uh, a transaction, <laughs> and um, and prefer the larger. There are more established stores in the in the Chicago area that are more popular, and they are the first stop. They will always be the first stop, and so. I feel I feel some kind of way about that. <laughs> I won't even lie about it. Well, but uh, but I do think that there is. But it is very helpful to have access to that information, and we absolutely need it. And I would love to have you uh, have be able to have that kind of a conversation, have that kind of a conversation <coughs> partner with you. Practically, I do have a range of prices in my store. One of them is the Barocco Vintage, and it is a wonderful and um, and it's a great it's a great gate bridge <laughs> for some of the big box uh, from some of the big box shoppers. I also try to have uh, some variegated yarns and some from hand dyers that are that are more exclusive that are for my more seasoned uh, knitters but I, I'm very conscious I want people to come into my store and if they choose to leave empty-handed it's because they didn't want to buy anything not because they couldn't but because they didn't see anything for them and then I will make sure that to get that but overall anybody who walked into my store should be able to walk out with something and that's important to me because I want my mother to feel comfortable I me and her would travel to the north side and she would never feel comfortable because she was a crocheter. I'm really great that crochet is, it's, it's always been out there for the South Siders. We've always been crocheting. It's always been there, but it wasn't being recognized and, and it was being overlooked. And those, the people who crochet were the, the people that, oh, those are the ones that go to the big box. That's what, that was the, uh, the unspoken conversation that was at play. Um, and which so, doesn't have to be. Which does not have to be. Anymore. Does not have to be that way. If I could yeah. jump yeah, in. Yeah, please do. Um, Good point, Stephanie, um, about not being a you know um, yarn snob or having just all high end exclusive you know um, you know luxury yarns. And I, I I agree. I think it's really important to have a range that you know fits the needs of a broad range of customers and also to welcome in that newer maker, maybe that younger maker. So curating your selection, you know, we, we all know that it's, it's, it's not an easy job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as, as a yarn company, you know, we have to do the same thing. We look at hundreds and thousands of yarns every year, and then we curate them to bring to you, and then you curate what you purchase to, to bring to your consumer. And then on the sales rep um, <laughs> end of things, Stephanie's one of my reps, so it's Linda, Amy, love you guys. Um, but when I was a, a yarn shop owner many years ago, I didn't see every rep. I ended up, probably after a period of time, I maybe only saw three reps because they added value to that meeting. You know, it can take a lot of time, you know, to, to spend with, with your rep and go through all the lines that they have, but it can be extremely valuable. Mm -hmm. So then when I became a rep, um, you know, I used to sit in my car and my mantra was always, what's my value add? You know, what do I bring to this relationship? Mm -hmm. And I think it's really a relate, you know, mm -hmm. th those, those best reps are the ones that build that relationship yes. with you mm -hmm. and they know your business mm -hmm. and they know your customer and they'll probably have curated what they bring into you already because there's a lot there's a lot out there mm -hmm. yeah I think we have time for maybe just one more question if there is one more question out there anybody wants one more 
Miss Abby. Mm-hmm. Right here. Oh, yes. Sorry. Yeah, I learned to knit when I was in second grade when there was five Waldorf schools. Oh, yeah. My mom, my mom taught at one, and I'm wondering if that there's any trend. Uh, it always seemed like so logical, and also, you know, everybody in the class. It wasn't just the girls that did mm -hmm. this, like home economics. So I'm just wondering if there's any trends that way that, you know, because I don't know that I'd ever have gotten into it in my adult life mm -hmm. if I wasn't introduced uh, mm -hmm. as a, you know, a youngster? Yeah, great question. What I'm, I'm seeing the Waldorf School uh, proliferation <laughs> in Chicago and the Montessori as well. And uh, I know I do know a couple of knitters who are taking the Waldorf training to be able to teach specifically in the school. And I also have a few customers in my community whose children are in those programs who have come to ask for help help for me. But that's a very specific skill set. And so I do try to support uh, younger learners mm -hmm. in learning how to knit and crochet, but try to um, involve the parents as well, because I think that is also a key tenet in the Waldorf and Montessori mm -hmm. uh, uh, curriculum, but it is, it's coming, I have seen and I've seen it uh, a lot in the, in the recent months, uh, post, post uh, coming back into school, schools in person. Mm -hmm. Also homeschoolers too, a lot of homeschool parents, we have a lot of homeschool parents who, who uh, teach knitting. So we're coming up to time, oh does there one? Could I add something very sure, quickly? Yes, yes. Um, in Michigan, about 45% of our customers are crocheters. But you, you don't know that because when they walk in, they won't tell you unless you ask. Mm -hmm. and, and what's so fascinating about the crochet group mm -hmm. is that more than half are very young. Mm -hmm. I mean, crochet is a real buzz now and has yeah. been for a while among uh, sort of older teenagers and college students. I'm in, I'm in a town next to the University of Michigan, so I know about college kids. And they're, they're just gung-ho for crochet. So if you want to snag them young... What you do is offer, as I'm about to, a summer camp in crochet and encourage young people to come and maybe even give it to them for free because they're going to be customers for life. I mean, I'm, I'm beginning to think we overemphasize the, the little $5 fee we keep asking, you know, which, which disadvantages poor people. It certainly disadvantages students. And so, so anyway, uh, there's a shop in, in Lansing, East Lansing right now, Woven Art, that's been offering free knit classes to college students, and, and it just it just makes sense to understand that crochet is a really easy way to get that group. Okay, that's all I have to say. Yeah, we're hearing that from our vendors too, crochet is on. We're looking at bringing in starter kits and all that. We don't want to get in the yarn business, mm -hmm. but we do want to get people uh, an opportunity to go to a store to maybe get started on knitting our, our crochet, because that will lead to other things, because once they get the exposure of, of the multi-different ways that people can enjoy crafting, uh, that's a better chance for all of us. That's a great note Cro to end. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, good. Yeah, crocheters, good to your point, cro the, the younger crocheters are very interested in what they can create for themselves. My cousin is 20-something. I taught her when she was like nine. Two months ago, she picked it up and figured out, because the math, this is my friend Stephanie, because the math be mathed, they figure out how to make the shapes, and she made her own bantana and tube. And so I think if we're teaching, mm -hmm. we should be trying to figure out how to how to enable them to be able to create their own garments. Mm -hmm. And so when we try to force them into the patterns and the stitches that we know, it you lose them. Mm -hmm. So if you want yeah, to gather them, funny. you need to teach them how mm -hmm. to create their own patterns for their own bodies. My little cousin has made 
sarongs, full dresses, backs out, like unbelievable because in crochet, it's a lot easier to develop those shapes if you see something to construct it than it is in knitting. So I think the key, if you're going to go into that, is to add on to that, that class, the ability to make things, because they already have in their mind, they come into the store with their idea of what they want to make. And so if you can help them do that, I think you'll be ahead of the game and absolutely offering free. It should, because you can go on YouTube and learn how to knit. We should not be charging to, for help for them to come in and get help. That is an equity and justice issue too. So I don't charge when people come into my store and ask for help for that reason. And that's even better note to end on. <laughs> so, we, we have one more. Uh, oh, we do. Last comment. Okay, sure. We're just talking about community, and I just wanted to mention also that um, partnering with libraries and art centers mm -hmm. is another great way. The libraries almost always have craft circles, and they're always looking for local shops to send people to for stuff. So that's a great, yes. <laughs> great source. Very true. Um, our panelists, just so you know, will stick around in sort of the front part of the room here afterwards. So if you did want to come up and follow up or talk more about any of these topics, you're welcome to do so. Um, but otherwise, thank you all so, so much for coming today. Thank you. Thank you, too. Thank you. And that was the State of the Industry panel at H&H &H Americas 2023. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're interested in attending H&H &H Americas in 2024, the show dates are going to be May 1st through 3rd, and the show will be held in Rosemont at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center that is right near O'Hare Airport, so in Chicago. Hope to see you there. Thank you so much. I'm Abby Glassenberg, and this is the Craft Industry Alliance Podcast. Mm -hmm.